The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Exodus chapter number 19, verse number 5. The Bible says, Now therefore, this is God speaking to Moses, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my com- covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the Lord unto the people. So we're uh, continuing a series that we started several weeks ago. Uh, Last week, we took a particular message and split it up into two parts. And so last week, we looked at a sermon titled The Old Covenant Part 1. And today, we're going to continue that with The Old Covenant Part 2. And uh, if you're a guest here today, you're like, what in the world are we talking about? Why are we studying this? What's it all about? And give me some context here. Well, several years ago, a book was written that became a New York Times bestseller uh, by an author by the name of A.J. Jacobs. He wrote a book simply entitled, My One Year of Living Biblically. And the cover made it sound like it was pro-Christian and uh, upheld Judeo-Christian values and such things. Uh, But really, the author's intent was to make a mockery of Christianity Uh, to point out the hypocrisy found in the Word of God. And the way A.J. Jacobs was able to do this was he took portions and passages of the Bible and really misinterpreted them, but then went further than that. Not only did he misinterpret them, then he misapplied them. And he took what he considered the 600 commands of scripture and decided for an entire year he was going to try to live like a Christian is supposed to live. And he went to Deuteronomy, he went to Leviticus, he went to these obscure Old Testament passages such as you're not supposed to wear mixed fabrics, which is most of what your genes are made out of, you're not supposed to eat uh, shellfish and certain seafoods, and he began to live for an entire year based on all of these commands. And at the end, basically, he was saying, uh, everybody that claims to be Christians don't really live Christian anyways. They just pick and choose what they want to believe. They pick and choose how they want to behave. And uh, let, you know, let's just all kind of you know, get along. And it was basically his point. Uh, the problem with the book was the fact that There was a misinterpretation, first of all, of how they dove into the scriptures, and then it was misapplied. And so we want to take some time and and kind of step back and ask ourselves, hey, is this a common issue? Because as I begin to study it a little bit, what I begin to find was the fact that uh, many, many Christians are doing this exact same thing, where they are literally misinterpreting, misapplying particular portions of Scripture, and in doing so, really missing out on a lot of what God has for them. And so let me give you a little bit of a review for those of you who might have not been here uh, last week. I I know we're kind of doing a lot of this, and uh, for this particular series, I feel like it's really important. Uh, As I said at the beginning of the series, 
this really is just one giant long sermon. It's not like some of the other series we do where it really is broken up and they're literally different sermons. This is one sermon that just happens to be taking six or seven weeks to get through. So rather than forcing you all to just sit here for seven hours, we've been breaking the sermon up into pieces. But in order to do that, I have to kind of go back every once in a while, get everybody caught up to speed, and then we'll kind of move forward. So if you were here last week, hopefully this will be a refresher. For those of you who weren't here last week, hopefully this will be somewhat of a help. Uh, Let's do this. On the screens, we kind of talked about two different types of relationships that exist. We talked about covenant relationships, and we talked about consumer relationships. And in the world we live in today, our relationships basically are defined in one of these two ways. So we took some time to unpack what this meant. Covenant relationships are focused on what you give to the relationship. The reason you get into a covenant relationship, like marriage, the reason you get into a covenant relationship, like with your local church, is because you're focused not on what you can get out of it, you're really entering into the relationship for what you can give to it. Then there are, on the other hand, consumer relationships. These are relationships you enter into for what you can get out of them. We joked about, you know, your relationship with Costco, your relationship with Sam's Club, a membership in that way. It is very much a consumer-oriented Uh, relationship. What happens in the 21st century is we take a lot of these relationships that are supposed to be covenant, like marriage, and we have made them consumer-oriented. Well, as long as I get out of it what I want to get out of it, as long as I can have what I want to have, then, you know, maybe we'll make this thing kind of continue on. But the reality is, based on the Word of God, that marriage and uh, our covenant relationship with church is supposed to be what we can give, not what we can get out of it. And the reason we enter into those types of relationships is for that purpose. And so we took some time to differentiate between covenant and consumer type relationships. A covenant relationship is founded on a couple of things. It is motivated by a couple of things. Number one, love. The reason you enter into a covenant relationship is because you adore, you unconditionally love that person you're entering into the relationship with. It is because you have committed to generosity. A covenant relationship is built on a commitment to generosity and a commitment to loyalty within that relationship. And then we said, and this might be on the screens, that while a covenant is definitely more than a contract, a contract isn't based on love, a contract isn't based on loyalty, it isn't based on generosity, while a covenant is definitely more than a contract, it is not less than a contract. And this is an important distinction to make if we're really going to wrestle through this here a little bit today. So we said this, second Timothy chapter number three, verse number 16. I think this is an important springboard to dive off of. Second Corinthians chapter number three says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this is an important distinction to make because as we move through this study, I would not want anybody to infer from what I am saying that somehow, you know, these passages in Leviticus, they're really not scripture, uh, but the passages we find in the New Testament are scripture. We're not saying that at all. We're not trying to infer that. The Bible is clear. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. However, in order for us to, uh, in order for it to be profitable to us, we have to interpret it in the right context and we have to apply it properly in order for it to be profitable to us. And so we looked at two questions last week. The first question is, what is the old covenant? That was the first question. And we said specifically, it is the 613 laws of Moses given to the nation of 
Israel. And this was an important distinction to make. We'll come back to it in just a moment. This was not generally given to humanity. Its laws were specifically given to the nation of Israel. There were 350 things the nation of Israel were to abstain from and 250 things that God commanded for this nation to do. And it's highly important if we are going to rightly divide the word of truth to understand that those 613 laws were directed at the children of Israel, at the nation of Israel, and specifically to that government. So what was it? It is the 613 laws of Moses. Uh, Then we said the second question we looked at last week was, who was the old covenant for? This was an important question. Who was it for? Originally and specifically, it was for the nation of Israel. And then secondly, we saw currently and generally, it is used today for unbelievers. The law is that which convicts. The law is that which shows unbelievers their need for a savior. That there is nothing they can do to attain perfect righteousness in and of their own works. And so the law crushes the heart of the unbeliever. The law crushes us to a place where we recognize and we admit we can't keep God's standard on our own. We need someone to do it for us. And so the law shows us how much we need a Savior. So that is, that's who the covenant for. Now, now that we're caught up to speed, let's dive in to the message here today. Um, somebody might be sitting here and saying, why, why are we diving into this whatsoever? I mean, really, what is, what's the point of understanding Old Covenant, New Covenant? And the reality is this. If you and I don't have a proper theological foundation, if we don't have a proper doctrinal framework to understand what the Old Covenant was, how it, how it interacts with the new covenant, we will regularly and often misinterpret and misapply the scriptures. And then when our kids or our grandkids or somebody at work or an unsaved relative comes to us and points to a passage in Deuteronomy and say, I thought you were a Christian. Here in this passage, it says that Christians are supposed to, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, whatever they pull out of context, you're, you're not supposed to be wearing jeans. And you're like, oh, I I didn't know the Bible said that. Well, it does say that, but it says it to a specific group of people. It says it to the nation of Israel, all right? And so this is why understanding New Covenant, understanding Old Covenant is extremely important lest the secular society we live in begin to tell you and tell me, hey, you're not even Christians. You, You don't even obey the Bible, And we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. And that is why we're going through this series, because I want Ambassador to have a proper theological and doctrinal framework for how they interpret the word of God scripturally and accurately. And I know this is meaty. I know this kind of feels like maybe a seminary class. We're going to get to the devotional practical elements in a few weeks, but help me wade through this a little bit today. Question number three, if you've got your service program, feel free to pull it out as we look at the third question here today. So we talked a little bit, what is the old covenant? The law of Moses. Who was the old covenant for? The nation of Israel, specifically, generally for unbelievers. All right, number three, what was the old covenant's limitations? 
This old covenant, the 613 laws of Moses that we find in the Pentateuch, or what is sometimes referred to as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. What were its limitations? What were those laws limitations? So let's go right to scripture for this, and we're going to move through a few passages here. Romans chapter number eight, verse three tells us this here. It says, for what the law could not do. This is very important. The apostle Paul is saying to the Romans, the law, it had limitations. There was elements of that which it could not do. What could the law not do? In that it was weak through the flesh. See, when our flesh, when our bodies, when, when we in and of ourselves try to live up to the law, we fail every single time because our flesh is weak. The Bible says God then sent his son in likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus became God. God became man in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Notice, for what the law could not do. What could it not do? Let's keep reading. Romans chapter number three, verse number 20 here tells us, therefore, by the deeds of the law, that is doing everything that the law commands, Commands, the 613 laws of Moses, there shall no flesh be, what's the next word? Justified. This is the limitations of the law of Moses. This is the limitations of the old covenant. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his, in God's sight. Now, if you're new to kind of church world, that word justified may or may not mean a whole lot to you. So let's take a quick moment to unpack that word. It's a Bible word, and so we want to use that word, but I think it's important to interpret it and define it. The word justified, if you want to write down in the margin of your notes there, you could define it as this, justified, just as if I'd, this is a little play on words here, just as if I'd never sinned. An easy way to remember it. What does justified mean? Just as if I'd, Never sinned, but it goes further. Justified also means just as if I'd always obeyed. Wow. So in God's sight, when we have been justified, when we have been declared righteous, what the Bible declares is that when God does this, it's just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd always obeyed in God's sight. That is how God sees those who have been justified. Just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd always obeyed. So here's what the Bible says. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. That is to say, no, law, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many old ladies you help across the street, no matter how much money you give to charity, no matter what you do, it's not enough to justify you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that justifies your soul. And that's what this passage is teaching, that no amount of good works will get you to heaven. No amount of good works will make you justified in the sight of God. 
Living in that paradigm won't sanctify you, won't make you spiritually mature. Because by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. This is one of the limitations of the old covenant. It's one of the limitations of the law of Moses. It does not have the capacity to justify. Hebrews 7 verse 19 goes on when it says, For the law made nothing perfect. What? The law of Moses and our attempts to be perfect, to do all the right things, to say all the right things, to, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk. Your, uh, your, your um, attempts to meet the standard of the law has made nothing perfect. This is the limitations of the law of Moses. This is the limitations of the old covenant. It was given to us by God. It is a good thing. But it cannot justify, it cannot save, and it cannot sanctify. Um, One theologian said it this way, The old covenant demands what it cannot deliver. (laughs) Wow. The old covenant, the law of Moses, demands something from you that it does not give you the power to accomplish. How'd you like it if your boss came to you and said, I want you to build a rocket to the moon. <laughs> well, you're going to have to give me some engineers and a whole lot of money, and you're going to have to give me some resources. No, I'm not going to give you nothing. I just, you're gonna, you'd be like, what in the world? And that's kind of what the law does. The law says, be perfect, as God in heaven is perfect, but then doesn't give you any resources or ability to accomplish it. And so what a lot of people do is they're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> And they give it the old college try and fall flat on their face every single time. Because the law was not given to us so that we could attain unto perfection through it. It's not the reason the law was given to us. It's not the purpose of the law. Because the law, the old covenant, has limitations. And its limitations is that it cannot save, it cannot justify, it cannot sanctify, and it cannot spiritually mature you. That is not what the law does. So, lastly, here's question number four. What is the old covenants? What is the law's purpose? Specifically, what's its purpose for us today? I mean, it's in the Bible, right? So it's got to have a purpose. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's profitable. There's a reason it's in there, but in order for it to be profitable to us, number one, we have to interpret it properly, and then we have to apply it properly. If we mess up on any one of those two fronts, the Bible is going to be very confusing to us. We're going to end up with a mixed bag of theological nuts. We're going to be confused, and on the one hand, we might say, wow, the Bible's confusing. This doesn't make any sense. I don't even know what this is talking about. And on the one hand, what people do in regards to this is they throw up their hands and say, this whole thing's dumb. I've tried. I can't. This is ridiculous. It doesn't even make any sense. And they're like, I'm out of here. And and we all know people who have have taken this approach to much of what we see. The other approach is, no, we're going to stick with it. But then they start creating all these 
illogical constructs on why it's there, and they start, well, this is that, and they kind of take pieces, and it's like, like, like they approach the Bible like a smorgasbord. I'll take that, but I'm not going to take that, and they really don't know why they're choosing one and not the other, but you know, it feels right, and they, they think it's right, but there's no, there's no theological, doctrinal framework that reveals to them which is, for them as a Christian in the New Testament church, and, and what was specifically for the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant. And because they don't understand the distinction, they're not able to discern between the two. They just kind of take a little from here and a little from there, and, and, and they feel in their heart like they're doing a good thing. Because I believe the Bible, but logically, it's just a mess. Theologically, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and so as a pastor, you'll kind of just scratch your head, and you'll all right, and, and basically what we've done is we do exactly what the New York Times best-selling author A.J. Jacobs did. We misinterpret it, then we misapply it, and then we come to conclusions like, ah, Christians are all hypocrites. <laughs> because we come in with the paradigm that the law is there to make us perfect. That's not the purpose of the law. It's not why God gave it to us. In fact, it's, it's very clear all throughout Scripture. Not only does he give us the law, he tells us why he gives it to us. He gives us its purpose, all right? And so let me give you two things here real quick, and we're going to dive back into some Scripture verses here. Now, this is real basic, and then we'll get into some more theological perspectives in a moment. But one of the reasons the Old Covenant was given to us, the laws of Moses, why so much of the Bible, I mean, most of the Old Testament falls under the umbrella of the Old Covenant or the law of Moses. So it's a major chunk of this thing that we call the Bible. Why was it given to us? Number one, to help us know the history and narrative of the nation of Israel and to better understand the grand story of redemption. This is big. It's, it's, it's history. It's showing us this big plan that God has for redemption. He wants to show us at what lengths he went to to save you, to rescue you. He's revealing to us at what lengths he went to to save humanity, to show his love to humanity. Now, in a lot of regards, so much as we move through the Old Covenant, it's, it's history. It's, it's illuminating God's heart to humanity, how he's going to send a Messiah, a Savior, through the nation of Israel. Now, in order to do that, this is practical, it's a real baseline. If God was going to send a Savior through the nation of Israel, then it was in his interest to make sure that this government called Israel, this nation called Israel, survived, number one, and number two, really thrived. That was God's heart. Because through this nation, God was going to bless the entire world, not just Jew, but also Gentiles, non-Jews. He was going to bless through them. And so it was in God's interest there to make sure that this nation was, was uh, surviving. It was thriving in a day and age where war and pestilence and unsanitary methods, just literally disease and famine, just would literally wipe out entire civilizations very quickly. And so in light of this, God begins to set up a civilized government. 
Now, as you're reading through these uh, books of the Torah, the Pentateuch there, you've got to come into it with a perspective, understanding that God is not showing the Israelites how to get to heaven. In fact, nowhere in there will you see anything about this being the, the way to heaven, this being their salvation, this being their way to spiritual maturity. He puts this in here and he reveals, hey, this is for you as a nation. I'm going to protect you. And so he just loads them with all types of wisdom for that day and age. Things like, don't eat pork. Does God have a thing against bacon? Does God not like bacon? <laughs> And then we go, oh, why does he put that in there? And that sounds confused. If you understand that God is really just trying to preserve a nation, he's trying to set up a government. And in that days and age, when they were wandering through the wilderness and there was a wild boar out there, a wild pig, you know what pigs in the wild, they're called scavengers. They often will eat dead things. Things that eat dead things. How many of you enjoy a nice vulture for dinner every once in a while? Nah. We don't eat vultures. Why? Vultures are scavengers. They're disease-ridden. We don't want to eat those. And in that day and age, man, a, a wild scavenger had very likelihood that it would carry disease. And so God said in wisdom to preserve, to help this nation survive and thrive. Guess what, guys? No bacon for you. It's just common sense. They didn't have a lot of the sanitary methods that we have today. If they wanted bacon, they had to go in the wild and get a pig. Pigs were predominantly kind of sickly animals and so god just said hey we're gonna take the high road here you got to survive i'm gonna be sending the messiah through you and i'm gonna do everything i can almost like god being like an it sounds i don't know if this is the right way to say this but almost like an overprotective father (laughs) we're gonna do everything we possibly can to to make sure this nation stays safe You're, you're free from disease free from the disease that comes from unsanitary you know methods and so literally god gave them directions on how they're supposed to take care of human waste do you mean if I don't take care of human waste in a proper way, you know, I'm not, God, God's not pleased with me? <laughs> this is just practical common sense for God who is setting up a civilized nation. He's setting up a government. So as you read through these laws, you've got to read it through that lens. You've got to read it through a lens of this is not God showing people how to earn his favor and acceptance. This is God just trying to help a government get up and running, stay healthy, survive and thrive so that he could send the spiritual healing through that nation that humanity desperately needed. So to have that perspective begins to bring a sense of understanding as to why so much of this here is in the scriptures. Um, uh, Our family likes to go to Barnes and Nobles. And we're having this debate. Is it Barnes and Nobles or Barnes and Noble? Anybody know? I just, this is, I'm just really curious, actually, and uh, maybe none of you thought about this. We, we were having an argument with our kids, and our kids were like, no, it's not Barnes & Nobles, it's Barnes & Noble. <laughs> yeah, looked at the sign, yeah, I guess maybe it is, I don't know, you know, so we were having this debate about it. We love to go in there, and the kids love to look at books and, and things, and you can, you can go into Barnes & Noble, Nobles, whatever it might be, and uh, you can go to a section, you know, that's uh, a section on how-to. Have you, have, how many of you been to the how-to section in Barnes & Noble, all right? You've been to that how-to, and, and there's books on how to do everything. If you want to write computer code, there's how-to books on that. If you want to build a house, there's how-to books on that. They are how-to books in Barnes & Noble. Then there's another section you can go to, and it's a history section. How many of you uh, enjoy history, all right? And you see, you've been to the history section there at Barnes & Noble. And uh, Jamie this week had an outstanding display 
play at Central. Uh, some of you got to go to that. She just literally, they hosted a genocide remembrance museum that thousands of people go through her class. And it, she's a history teacher. She, she understands what history is and does an incredible job teaching kids about history. Now, the reality is this. As I was going through that this week, Jamie, I was not thinking to myself, I wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder if Jamie is for all this genocide stuff. I mean, she's telling me about it. Give me all this history. I'm, is she condone this? Is she for That thought never passed my, my mind. Why? Because I wasn't reading, I wasn't taking in the information through a lens of, this is what Jamie Schultz is telling me to do. <laughs> you say, that's ridiculous. The lens that I went into that museum with was a lens of, I'm going to learn about history. Now, if she sets up another class in the future and she wants to do, you know, you know, how to, how to raise chickens or something, you know? I know they've got chickens in their backyard. That would be a whole different thing. I'd go in with the lens of, I'm going to learn more about how to raise chickens. When we go to Barnes & Nobles, we understand the difference. We, we, go to, we go to the how-to section and look at how-to books, and we know as we're reading this, the author is implying that these are things we're supposed to do. And then we can go to other books, and we realize that the publishers that publish, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, the publisher's not saying, this is what's good. <laughs> it's just history. It's telling us what happened. Can I say within this Bible, there are portions, there are books, there are sections that are how-tos for the Christian in the New Testament age. And there are books, there are sections that are history with elements of God-ordained wisdom woven within it, no doubt, with principles that we could glean. But it's history. And a lot of people, non-believers, will look at passages to some of these obscure passages in the Old Testament, and they'll be like, "Ah, what's going on? I want nothing to do with the Bible. It's history. It's just saying this is what is. It's not a how-to to to be a good Christian. (laughs) You say, well... Well, how, how do we know? This, this is why we're kind of unpacking this. I desperately want to help Ambassador have a strong hermeneutical approach to biblical interpretation. Because the day and age in which we live, they're in the secularized society, secularism is so seeping into so many of our institutions, whether it be government and schools or even churches. And, and our, as Christians, like, we don't even know how to, we don't even know the difference between how-tos and history, and it's all confusing, and I'm going to throw up my hands, I'm out of here. This is, this is ridiculous. Christians are stupid. So I'm trying to equip you. I'm trying to help you understand, hey, as you navigate through the word of God, you, there are aspects of it that, oh, is this what God's saying to do? Is this what God wants? It, there's history. There's how-tos. Old covenants, a lot of history. <laughs> All right? New covenant is going to take us in a different direction and we're going to see these distinctions here in a moment in a few weeks we're going to get even deeper into how to unpack how to biblically interpret how to hermeneutically approach difficult portions of the bible because as we move into a secular society the last thing we need is a bunch of ambassador christians going out there like oh you know as you have friends and unsaved relatives asking you questions you're like oh i don't really know that beats me we're just a social club over there we just like to hang out and sing no, I want to equip you. I want, I want you to be able to go to the word of God and be like, I'm rightly dividing this thing. I want you, you know, we've, we've got to be a little bit more biblically literate than the average Christian in the day and age in which we live. I, I just hate, and it's nothing against us. I, I realize we're busy. We've got a lot going on. But what's sad is when all of a sudden, because we don't take time for this, some person jumps on Google 
asks you a question, you're like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm done with the God thing now. <laughs> like, what? 20 seconds on Google by an unsaved coworker, and you're like ready to abandon the faith? There's answers to this stuff. We can work our way through it, and that's what this series is about. It's one of the biggest lenses that will help us to rightly, here's what the Bible says, Paul says, divide this word of truth to interpret this stuff properly as we move through the word of God, all right? And so just, uh, we'll move on. Number two, so you say why, what was the covenant's purpose? It was to help us to understand the history, the government, uh, the, the nation that was going to bring forth the Messiah to give us a grand story of redemption, the lengths at which God went to to rescue all of humanity through the nation of Israel in the person of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection here. So secondly, I would say this, and probably more specifically, the old covenant of the law reveals that sinful humanity always falls short in its attempt to earn God's acceptance through their own performance. This is, this is the major purpose of the law. Not for us to look at it and say, all right, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've got to make this thing happen. It's to reveal to all of humanity that no matter how hard I try, I will never justify myself through the works of my righteousness. I can't, but Christ can. And this is an important distinction to understand. Let's go to the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says you have been given, you have been imputed the righteousness of God to your account. You have been declared righteous. So if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, if you put your faith and trust in him, the law, the old covenant, it's not for you anymore. It's not, it's, it's, for the, it's not made for the righteous, but who? The lawless, the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. In our series on identity, we talked about this. Ephesians declares that we are no longer sinners. Wow, you say, well, that sounds like kind of arrogant, doesn't it? I, I kind of think we're sinners. No, sinners is an identity. It's an essence of who we are. And the Bible declares that in Christ, we are no longer sinners. We are saints, those who've been justified. We're, we're saints. Those who are in Christ. We've been made righteous, not because of our works, but because of what Christ has done on our account. We are saints who maybe sometimes happen to sin, but there's a big difference between the two. There's a huge difference between the two. So knowing this, the law is not made for the righteous. Let's keep reading. Romans chapter number three, verse 20. Well, what is the law for then? The Bible tells us for by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is, this is the purpose of the law. It's to reveal sin. Without the law, we would not know that we've offended a holy and righteous and perfect God. We wouldn't know that we need to be justified. We wouldn't know that we would need to be made perfect. And so the law gives us, it reveals to us that we need someone and his name is Jesus to make us perfect. Let's keep reading Romans 7, 7. What what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Now, Paul's trying to address this with the book of Romans because now they're like, wait a second. Are you saying the law is evil? Are you saying it's bad? No. He's saying it's not. In fact, in other passages, the apostle Paul will even go as far to say that it is holy and it is good in its proper context. Paul, the apostle Paul says, nah. he says, no, he said, I wouldn't even have known sin if it were not for the law. He says, the law is what revealed to me I was a sinner that showed me I needed a savior. Without it, how would we know? 
how would we know our great need? It's the law that condemns. It's the law that brings shame. It's the law that brings guilt. It's the law that weighs us down. And in doing so, hopefully brings us to a humble point where we recognize, I need Jesus. I need him to do in me what what I've never been able to do in and of myself. The the Apostle Paul goes on to say the the law is good. Here's what he says. If, what, what, what if, Paul? If it be used lawfully. That is to say there were some in his day and age that were taking the law, the old covenant, the law of Moses, and they were using it and applying it and misinterpreting it wrong. And there are some that are doing that today. New York Times bestselling author A.J. Jacobs being in that group. Many Bible-believing Christians who are kind of ignorant regarding the Scriptures kind of can fall into that group. And he says, the law is good if, if you're using it right. Who's, how, how do we use it? It's used to reveal to humanity, those that are without Christ, how much they need Jesus because no matter how hard they try, they'll never attain unto God's perfect standard of righteousness and they need, they need a Savior. And that's what this is teaching. So I'm going to throw this up. I think, uh, I don't know if this is on the uh, screens here, uh, but the old covenant, the old covenant was not the how-tos of Christianity. See, a lot of people look, well, man, I'm going to go through and I'm reading through Leviticus and, you know, wow, that's okay, you know, and they're, they're reading through and they're like, man, is the old covenant, is this the how-tos of Christianity? Is this, is this what we're supposed to do to be good Christians? We can't eat shellfish, can't wear mixed fabrics, I can't shave my beard. Is, that, is this the how-tos of Christianity? No. As you go through all 613, its primary purpose is it's God's absolute standard. We'll see when it comes to some of those moral laws that show humanity its sin and thus a need for a Savior. And so we come to this place where, wait a second, all of a sudden we go to the Ten Commandments and we're looking at these things and we're like, man, those Ten Commandments, those are weighty. That's intense. Is there anybody here? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about it. Who has kept just the 10. Just not even, I'm not talking 613. I'm talking like less than you can count on your hand. Any, 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 and the reality is none of us have, if we were to be honest. Just the, just the, the, the big 10. It's God's absolute standard that shows humanity how it's fallen short, and thus how it needs a Savior to reconcile, to justify, and to declare it perfect in God's sight. This this is one of the reasons why I personally am not opposed to putting the Ten Commandments outside of government buildings or on such things. I I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to show America or show humanity, hey, you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And it's those laws that condemn those laws that oppress. It's those laws that push that guilt. And through that, showing people's need for a Savior. The goal of the Ten Commandments is not so unregenerate people can walk by, look at them, and say, ooh, I, I think I'm going to try that one. I'll try to do a little better there, and I'll try to do a little better there. That's, that's not, that wasn't 
Paul told us that wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose is to crush, to condemn, and to convict, to reveal that you needed something more than morality to be made perfect, to be justified, to get saved, and to grow in spiritual maturity. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 6, verse 14, for those of us in Christ, we are not under the law, but under grace. In Christ, those who've committed their lives to Christ, you're not under the law anymore. You are under the grace of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.18 says the same thing. If you be led of the Spirit... If you have a spirit of God in you, if you have a dwelling spirit, you're not under the law. Now, here's what's interesting. And we'll close this up in conclusion. For hundreds of years, we didn't have the Bible in this form. That's a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful that we have it all together. This book was written over 4,000 years by 40 different authors, you know, um, just, it's, it's a vast array, and, and, and then it was brought together, and that was a good blessing. It was a great thing. The, the, if I can, uh, let me say it this way. The issue is that we begin to not be able to discern differences. I'll say it this way. Um, kind of follow with me for a second. Uh, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the original language, for those of you who didn't know, the Bible wasn't originally written in the English language. Just a little history fact there uh, for those of you that may have may not known. It was originally New Testament, originally written in a Koinonia Greek. And uh, in the Greek, the word for testament is the word diatheki. It's translated testament 13 times, that word diatheki. 13 times. Do you know what that word diatheki is? translated 20 times in our scriptures covenant you see as you really move through the bible the word covenant and testament you're gonna find it pretty interchangeable we could literally without stretching too much we could we could literally say we have the old old covenant of scripture and the new covenant of scripture the old way in which God dealt with the nation of Israel and the new way in which God deals with his church, those who are in Christ, believers and Christians. He has a covenant for one. His covenant with Israel was based on love and generosity. He was going to bless Israel. It was based on loyalty to them. He had a covenant with them. And now there's a new covenant that he has with his church. With those who are in Christ. It is also built on love. It is also built on generosity. It is also built on loyalty to you. But the conditions of that covenant are a little bit different. And it's fascinating. So what we're going to do next week is we are going to start diving into what is the new covenant. What is it? We've started to kind of uncover what the old covenant was. What is the new covenant? How is it the same? Are there any differences to it? If that which is new, then what does that mean? Was there something old? And if there's something old and now there's something new, is there a difference? 
And I think as we begin to unpack this and begin to talk about what is the, when did the new covenant start? What is the new covenant's purpose? Go on and look at, is there a time when the new covenant ends? As we begin to unpack the scriptures, I believe it's going to give you a hermeneutical, biblical interpretation for how to biblically interpret the word of Christ. And at the end of the day, honestly, what I, and we've been talking about this for weeks, I really think what's going to end up happening is we are going to get a greater and deeper appreciation for the extent that God went to to save, justify, and sanctify humanity. As we begin to unpack, man, what is this new covenant? What does this mean for me as an individual? What does this mean corporately for us as a church? Some of it, for a lot of you, will be familiar. And for a few of you, you'll be like, whoa, I, I didn't know that distinction. It looked like salvation was based on works, and, and now it's going to be based on something not of works. It's going to blow your mind. We're going to start to unpack the new covenant a little bit more in detail here in the weeks ahead. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.